0: Turn back to the passage of Scripture we read for a while in Genesis uh, chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And then... Cain spoke to Abel his brother and when they were in the field Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain where is Abel your brother? He said I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Many people I'm sure are familiar with that uh, question am I my brother's keeper given in response to God's query to Cain about the whereabouts of his brother Abel. Uh, Abel, where is your brother uh, Abel? But although many people might be familiar with that particular uh, phrase, that particular response, uh, they might be hard-pressed to be able to come up with where is that particular passage of Scripture uh, found. It's one of those biblical statements that has found its way into everyday uh, parlance and uh, how many people, I wonder, apart from those who regularly attend church, are familiar with the story of Cain and uh, Abel. And Cain's reply to God's question about the whereabouts of Abel reflects the attitude of the man or woman who, does want, who doesn't want anything to do with the Lord, who is, who is defiant against God, the self-centered man or woman, the person who seeks their own advantage in their own advancement. Cain not only murdered his brother, but he spoke defiantly to God, showing his resentment at being answerable uh, to a a God. His independent actions showed his unwillingness uh, to approach God on God's terms. He's very much the man or woman who would say today, I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. I saw a statistic some years ago, and it mentioned the three most popular uh, songs that are sung at funerals in the United Kingdom today. Uh, One of them is, you'll never walk alone. The other is, always look on the bright side. And uh, this one, of course, took number one place. I'll do it my way. But if we want to do things my way, then we cannot expect God to give us his Blessing. If we want to have a relationship with God, if we want to please God, if we want to honour God, then we have to do things God's way. And following the fall, we we didn't read, but we know the story earlier on, Adam and Eve pathetically tried to cover up their sin uh, with garments made of fig leaves. And in contrast, we read that God provided them with substitute garments made with the skin of, of an animal, not because the garments made with leather or suede or whatever are more durable than garments made with fig leaves, but simply that God was trying to impress upon them the sheer gravity of sin and of the consequences of disobeying the Lord. God was doing something that they themselves were incapable of. Of doing, he was re-establishing the broken relationship—the relationship that had been broken by the defiance of that first man and woman, who chose to listen to the evil one rather than to obey God. God hadn't given them a long litany of of uh, commands. There was only one single command, and yet Adam chose uh, to go uh, against God. And so when God came and and he made garments of skin eh, for the first man and woman, he was re-establishing the broken eh, relationship and also re-establishing the relationship that is broken between us today and our creator, eh, God. He was showing them that for that broken relationship to be re-established, the blood of an innocent creature had first to be shed. And in this instance, God did not command Adam and Eve to kill that creature, to shed its blood. He did it for them. But from then on, the man or woman who wanted to approach God and wanted to be accepted by God had to approach God after having slaughtered an animal and having shed its blood. God, at the very beginning, had warned Adam that disobedience would bring about death. And God cannot go back on his word. It would be very easy for us from a human perspective to imagine God saying, well, you know, you're you're new, you're, you're naive, you've been conned, I'll give you a second chance. But if God had gone down that road, if he had given our first father and mother a second chance, it means that God would have gone back on his word. And if he had gone back on his word on one occasion then might he not go back on his word on another occasion. But it's precisely because God is totally trustworthy, that God does what he says and says what he does, that we can trust him absolutely implicitly. God promised Satan at the very beginning of time, following the fall, he said, I will put envy between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel The very first promise of a saviour, a descendant of the woman who had been deceived, would inflict a mortal wound upon the head of Satan. No details were given, no time frame was given, simply God's promise. And sometimes when God promises something, then the the fulfilment of that promise might be far, far away uh, in time. But that promise was followed immediately by God's actions in shedding the blood of an innocent animal so that he might cover over their guilt, literally to atone for their sins. And those plain garments of skin point ahead to the glorious robes of the righteousness of God's own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, Jesus, the Lamb of God, dies for our sins. It's the great exchange, as the theologians call it. He takes our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. I find that hard to comprehend sometimes. How can he who knew no sin become sin for us? Yes, he can take upon himself the punishment due to us for our sins. But how can he become a sin? And he pays the ransom price, the wages of sin is death, and Christ dies the death of his people, bearing the punishment due to us because of our sins. My grandson Johnny, he's 11, but about a year ago, he said to me, uh, he said, Shen, when Jesus was on the cross, why did God have to look away? Why did he have to turn his face away from his Beloved Son, and it's because God's eyes are too pure than to behold iniquity, as we read in Habakkuk. God had to turn his countenance away from his beloved Son because his Son was bearing the sins of the Lord's people. And so God had to look away, and that's what made Christ a cry out, that terrible cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Peter puts it in his letter, Christ died for sins once for all. Once for all, the righteous died for the unrighteous to bring us to God, to bring us back to God, because our sin has created this terrible chasm, this terrible separation between we on the one side and God on the other. But the righteous died for the unrighteous to bring us back to God. Adam and Eve understood God's hard lesson And uh, it was evident in the actions of their sons because not a day would have gone by when Adam and Eve would not have uh, thought of the consequences uh, that had come about because of their disobedience and and their rebellion against God. How often they must have thought of how life had been at the beginning when they were in the garden, when they were meeting with God face to face and then to be shown the door and to have the flashing sword there that would prevent them from entering eh, once again. But it wasn't the end of everything because God provided a way for them to come back and to engage with him. And it is evident that that hard lesson eh, was passed on to their sons, Cain and Abel, because Abel approached God with a lamb. He approached God with a lamb and that meant he had to shed the blood of that lamb. He was, he was doing exactly what God had commanded and ordained for his parents, that, yes, you can approach me, but you must do so having first shed the blood of an innocent creature. And God looked with favor on his offering, or as we read here, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But despite having the same upbringing, despite having been brought up by the same father and mother, Cain brought instead the produce of the ground, fruit and vegetables, and God rejected it because, as Hebrew states, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. He brought a bloodless offering, it was an offering that came from the ground which God had cursed. I remember many, many years ago, my father uh, went to visit a good friend who was in hospital, and uh, in greengrocers you could, you know, you could go in and you could buy uh, a very ornate basket with all sorts of lovely fruit. It was lovely to look at, it was lovely to smell, and as a child, I just desperately wanted to take just one grape from that basket. But I knew that my father would really get on to me had I done something like that and Cain's offering to the Lord it might have looked beautiful it might have smelled eh, fragrant, it might have contained the best of the crop but God rejected him because he wasn't approaching God according to the way that God had ordained and there had to be the shedding of blood the juice of fruit and vegetables does not wash away our sins but only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ the Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world only his blood can wash away our sins all over the world many people who follow various different religions uh, they go into very ornate temples and uh, mosques they fast they engage in all sorts of a rituals, thinking that by doing so, they can get right with God. But they're like Cain, they're approaching God on their own terms. They're rejecting the cross, they're disdaining the sacrifice of Jesus. In many cases, even denying that God has a son. And so sadly for them, God will reject them. But our God is a God of amazing grace, because he didn't say to Cain, that's it. No more. He, he, he said, if you do what is right, as it's put in another translation, if you do what is right, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And uh, God was, God knew that Cain knew the way because of his upbringing. So he was saying to Cain, go away and, and, and ask your brother for a lamb or some other creature and slaughter it, shed its blood, and then come back and worship me. And you will be uh, accepted. But no, Cain knew what God's will was. He knew what was right. But he ignored it. And he tried to find acceptance with God on his own terms. God will not be mocked. We must approach him on his terms. And we must approach him by the way that he has provided for us. And only then will we find acceptance. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to God except through me. And yet, sadly, many, many people try. In Hebrews 11, that wonderful roll call of the Old Testament saints, by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. Cain did not come by faith. He came trusting in his own works. He represents the natural man or woman who thinks that they can please God by their own efforts. As Pink, you remember Pink, who lived in Stornoway many years ago and who wrote many, many books. He says of the natural man, something in my hands I bring, to my goodness I do cling. It's a parody uh, of a line taken from one of the great hymns a former Archbishop of Canterbury, when he asked uh, where did his faith lie for the future of the human race, he claimed to believe in the innate goodness of mankind. This is the head of the Anglican Church 30 years or so ago. For the future of the human race, he believed in the innate goodness of mankind. When we look around the world today, we can see the effects of the innate goodness of mankind. Abel came by faith, not trusting in the innate goodness of humanity, but trusting in faith in God's uh, word. His actions show that he recognized himself as a sinner, but his actions show that he had listened to God, he had understood a God's ordination for him, that he was a fallen creature worthy of death, but he came by faith, knowing because God had opened up a way for him. And if he approached God by that way, then God would not reject him. And saving faith is not just a, an acquiescence an of God's word. It's not just a mental assent to what we read in the Bible. It involves acting upon it, which Abel did. Jesus told Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch and Simon responded that they'd been fishing all night and they'd caught nothing but because you say so and so they put out again tired and weary as they were and they let down the nets because Jesus had told them to do so and they brought in that wonderful catch. It simply didn't make sense because Simon was the expert fisherman. He knew his trade But Jesus said so, and so out of obedience to the word of Jesus, Simon let down the net and they brought in this great catch of fish. And again, in James chapter 2, he speaks there of the example of Abraham. Abraham didn't just believe in the promises of God, but he acted upon them because God had told him that through his descendants would come one who would bring blessing to all the nations of the world, whom we now know as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said of Abraham, he saw my day, he saw my day, and he rejoiced. And yet, despite that, he went on that long journey to Mount Moriah and was willing to sacrifice his son, believing that somehow or other God would still fulfill his covenant promises Abel represents the spiritual man, a man or woman who trusts fully in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. As him puts it, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In contrast, the world stands shoulder to shoulder with Cain. But if we are Christians here this morning, then Abel is our brother. And here in Genesis 4 is the fountainhead of the two streams of humanity that have flown ever since. One stream finding its way to heaven. The other to a lost eternity in hell. The saved and the lost. Those who do it God's way and those who choose to do it my way or the way of the world. And the question for us is, Along which of those two streams are we flowing today? And when life's journey eventually ends, will we be swept joyfully into the safe anchorage of heaven or will we be sucked down into the whirlpools of hell? And what separates the two? And the answer is simply blood. Blood. On the night of the Passover, the destroying angel passed over those homes where the people in those houses had listened to the word of God. They had slaughtered the Passover lamb, and they had taken its blood and wiped it on the door frames of their homes. They were trusting that the destroying angel would do exactly as God had promised, that when he passed through Egypt on that night and when he saw the blood, he would pass over the people in that home, and they would be safe. But if he passed over a house or a palace and he saw no blood on the door frames, then the eldest son of that family would be taken, whether it was a poor hovel or a king's palace. And unless we understand these fundamental truths going right back to the beginning of Scripture, we will never truly comprehend why it was that God had to send his own dear son into the world to die in our place we will never fully comprehend the true gravity of uh, sin and for our sin to be dealt with for our sins to be washed away there has to be death there has to be the shedding of blood but not any blood the blood of Jesus the blood of the Lamb of God and when we go right back into the Old Testament and we see uh, the Lambs and the bullocks and the creatures that were taken to the temple and sacrificed and their blood being poured out upon the altar. These animals were the finest of the flock, without blemish, free from fault, the type of animal that we would see today at the agricultural eh, shows. Hence the need for God's own son, he who is altogether lovely to come because in him there was no sin. And we read, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All except Jesus, God's own incarnate Son. Only the sacrifice of Jesus, only the sacrifice of the one who is sinless and perfect could satisfy God's demand for justice. Only his blood can wash away our sin. And when God shed that blood right at the very beginning of time, it was a pointing ahead uh, ultimately to the blood of his own son who would come according to the promise that he had given to uh, Satan. And so today and every other day, if we are trusting in Jesus, we can come boldly to the throne of grace, confident that he will accept us, confident that he will accept us just as he accepted Abel because we come trusting in the finished work, and the shed blood of Jesus. Not by our good works, but trusting in Jesus. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And so at the end of the day, two approaches to God, two ways into the presence of God, but only one way that will be accepted. Only one was good enough to satisfy the righteous demands of our holy God. Many religions in the world, many philosophies, many beliefs, but only one cross, only one saviour, only one door into heaven. And if we heed the word of God and approach him on his terms, then we will not be turned away. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to these thoughts and meditations.